0: Right, you're on Community Radio 2XX98.3 FM. We're sitting on the back step of a house in Ainsley. We're talking to Gabriel Salas. How are you going, Gabriel? Very good. How are you? I'm very well as well. Um, yeah, now, um, you're living in Spain currently and, uh, have lived in South America and been all over the world. Um, we're here today to have a bit of a yarn about anarchism and it's, uh, yeah, it's it's history and its place and its possible uh, possible future. So, I guess to start off,
1: uh, what is it? Well, as they say, as they say, as yes, uh, one of the anarchists, or I can't remember which one, uh, said, "Anarchy, anarchism is the maximum expression of order. There is so much order." In society, that any repressive means are like, like the ones that are supported by the state are not necessary. So anarchism consists basically in, in the replacement of the state by uh, functions, by, by so, organizations of society which are highly democratic in that Controls from the bottom up and in, in an anarchist system all authorities everybody in power can be easily removed from the ones that are below them, and, and has to be constantly uh, checked in this and those persons are all the time controlled from the base up. Um, so I guess that that sort of seems
0: Bit counter to the uh, the reputation of, of anarchy as uh, a system with no rules, where everybody just does whatever they
1: want. No, no, it's it's com- well, they very often, very often, uh, it's uh, anarchy is, uh, is, is is compared or useless equivalent of disorder, but uh, the. Uh, the, the root of the word anarchy is anarchos, no government. And so it's a society with no government. Um, one of the founders of uh, anarchism was a bloke. His name was Michael Bakunin. And uh, he was a Russian revolutionary and um, had lots of problems, well, he was first of all a great admirer of Karl Marx Uh, and uh, actually he was the first guy to translate Das Kapital, the the capital, the main work of Marx to translate it into Russian but during the first international in, uh, I think it was in the 1870s uh, He and and Karl Marx, they split on the ideology that, on the ideological reasons. Uh, Karl Marx proposed, said that after the revolution, of the working class revolution, it would be necessary to install what he called the dictatorship of the proletariat, a dictatorship A really strong state controlled by a party, uh, and that would impose, would extinguish the bourgeoisie and eventually would disappear by itself. Bakunin opposed that idea because he said the state cannot, even if it's a socialist state, will not disappear by itself. And he basically predicted what happened to the Soviet Union, because the Soviet Union followed with Lenin and Stalin later on. the the patterns or the proposals of Karl Marx. Inst- installed a, a dictatorship, and as Bakunin said, that Bakunin that dictatorship transformed itself into money power again, went corrupt, and ended in a total collapse. So that was. For that reason, nowadays, now that Marxism has failed, eh, Marxist has, Marxism has failed in its proposals for the future. I don't think it has failed in its analysis of history. Their analysis is very good and very accurate. But, um, yeah, eh, Bakunin, eh, well, eh, anarchism in general, which is as presented not only by Bakunin, but many other you can call them leaders, but they're not, they don't want to be leaders. Uh, ideologists, I would say, Marx, eh, was uh, Bakunin, was Kropotkin, a guy whose name was Malatesta, and many others at different levels. So that type of uh, proposal, proposal of a society, a communist society without a state, is very much in vogue now in many countries in Latin America, and even in Spain anarchism is starting to breathe again since the Marxist experiment failed.
0: Yeah, okay. So I guess um might be worth just having a look backwards for a little while and, and seeing what's the what is the sort of basis of the current sort of the European sort of social and, and hierarchical power structure that we've that we've got. I mean, where's that come from?
1: Well, that comes from from what they called the, the social democratic um, proposals which um, established what the anarchists called the dictatorships of uh, the elections. You call for a general election, consult a lot of people at the same time and then impose a state over which people doesn't have any control over a short period of time, four years, up to six years, and up to eight years sometimes. And then, um, when the time that kind of state is running, runs short or so ends, then they call for another election and they have another sort of uh, party controlled state. And that is the model, the basic model, and that comes out I think the first experiments of that were done perhaps in England. I'm not quite sure i think yeah yeah with uh, with Cromwell you know all those people they started to to build up the what they call the social democratic state yeah
0: yeah, so that sort of system evolved within a a structure of feudalism i guess in the in the United Kingdom anyway, and how do you how do you see that the, the older power structures of lords and servants and slaves and things have come through to the, uh, the system we just described of a democracy today?
1: Well, in the sense that it's basically one class, the one that rules. It's not as restricted before as the aristocracy. They have... Uh, they have uh, it's a class that's basically... Determined by money and by the amount of money, you cannot. uh, If you are a poor man, your chances of getting elected in uh, what they call democratic system is hardly none, because you have to finance electoral campaigns, you have to finance minutes of on TV, you have to finance, uh, you have to have big newspapers supporting you, you have to have Murdoch. Supporting you as happened with uh, Willem, <laughs> even with Willem, <woodlum. laughs> and um, and yeah, it's um, you cannot. Um, it's it's basically a, it's a system determined in which the rich manage to rule over the poor or, or the people who are not so rich. Yeah, seems to me it's
0: sort of become a uh, a system of transfer of wealth from the from the people who have none and all concentrating in the people who have lots to start with. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. The concentration of wealth, basically. Everything else, through taxes, concentrating on power. Yeah.
0: And I guess, can you see a pattern through history of the concentration of wealth?
1: Well, yeah, I say that has been happening since the... 18th century basically and uh, all during the 19th century up to the 20th century now in which you have uh, basically big multinationals determining who is going to be in power in, in, in every place, from the United States to even small countries in South America, hmm. according to the convenience of uh, of the business they're doing.
0: Yeah, now you've mentioned Spain, Russia and and South America. Are there are there parallels in the history of those places that seem quite prominent in the sort of in the course of the the freedom theories, I guess you could call them, communism and anarchism.
1: Well, in in, in Spain I would say well, in Russia, yeah, there was there, there were there were parallelisms, and to a certain extent, in Russia, um, the revolution started uh, towards the end of uh, the First World War, and uh, what was intended to form in Russia was basically a decentralized society. That's why it was, it was called, called the Soviet Unions. Independent um, workers controlled uh, units, which were the Soviets, were going to federate together to create the, the Soviet Union. But uh, unfortunately the, the development of the Communist Party by Lenin and then afterwards by Stalin destroyed the power of the Soviets and established a centralized state government which as we know eh, was very very efficient at fighting against other centralized states like for example the Nazis in Germany Soviet Union was fine not Soviet Union the Communist Party in Russia was very very efficient at helping to destroy Hitler much more than the United States, yeah, and uh, <laughs> and uh, but we're tending tending to go into into eventually into corruption and into the formation of new economical powers within the same society, and and that by collapsing and by being a complete chaos, which is now a capitalist chaos, I would say, which uh, Russia is now. Yeah, in the case of um, in the case of Spain, um, we have uh, there a very strong workers' movement developing, developing against. Well, it was, as you say, a feudal sister, a monarchy, and uh, with lots of people, and very impoverished peasants and working class uh, population very very impoverished and those people started organizing by the end of the 19th century into uh, in, into a movement that was basically led by the anarchists not only not the conquest of the state, but the destruction of the state as it was understood as it was nobility. And um, in 1931 uh, there was in Spain um, made, uh, very large council elections of all councils in Spain. And in that council election nobody voted for the king. So the king abdicated and they established a democratic republic. in in 1931 which was elected by votes by all the people but that democratic republic didn't solve the problem of the dispossessed particularly in areas poor areas like andalusia where landlords used to keep the power of owning the land power given by and also in catalonia in 1936, a revolution started led by the anarchists all over the place. Um, but that revolution was in response to a military coup that given by General Franco, who wanted his excuse, his excuse, the army's excuse was to restore the king and to put back the monarchy as it was. Because they didn't like, uh, they didn't like The the democratic system or pseudo democratic electoral system that was, uh, that worked in Spain from 1931 to 1936 or 39, I would say, until the end of the Civil War. We gave a military coup, and uh, the ones who stopped the, the army all over the place were the anarchists. And not all over the place, unfortunately. There were some cities in some places where the army managed to take power. And then you have the start of the civil war. At the beginning uh, an organized army against the militia formed by Yanakis, by people who had no military training but who had managed to get weapons from the garrisons they had taken. And then you have the start of the civil war. Franco was supported by by Hitler and by Mussolini and given, given weapons, and uh, you had Germany and Italy fully given total military power to Franco, and for that reason, the Civil War, in the end, was won by Franco, and, uh, and ended with uh, the establishment of the dictatorship, that, of army dictatorship that lasted 38 years, or 39.
0: Now, I guess that's a, a sort of period in, in the English-speaking world that you don't hear much history about, the interwar interwar period. Um, was there much help from around the world for the
1: anarchist side of the civil war? No, there was, there was help. It, actually, there was no help at all from, from the democratic war, uh, world. No, uh, no help to Spain at all. Uh, Spain, uh, England was at that time, uh, the strongest person there was a guy whose name was Chamberlain. And Chamberlain, if he had helped somebody, he would have helped the Republic, the Democratic Republic. He never would have helped the, the anarchists, but he didn't. He didn't help the anarchists. He, 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 he played, the game, played the game of trying to please uh, Hitler and tried to postpone the Second World War by being a nice boy with Hitler,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then uh, yeah, so in the end uh, it, it, it didn't work because in the end uh, Hitler declared the war in England, or if there was a war between England, and they didn't stop Hitler from launching the Second World War, even if they were trying to be very nice and not. Uh, and not support, they not support um, the Democratic Republic in Spain. The only people re, oh, who who supported the the only country supported with weapons the Republic in Spain was was the Communist Party, and therefore, but he gave weapons and he gave power. The Soviet Union only gave power and weapons to the Communists in Spain, so the Communists in Spain. Who were a small force of about 10,000 people at the beginning of the Civil War. By the end of the Civil War, they had had about one million militants. All with them, you know, all weapons and all aid and all economical aid was given to them. And, uh, and of course the communists in Spain fought against the anarchists because they didn't want to have people's controls. They wanted to have control of everything by a party that was against the anarchist principles.
0: Yes, it seems sort of... paradoxical in a way of the uh, of the thoughts of the Marxists in that... fighting absolute power and replacing it with
1: absolute power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the line of the Communist Party. It was... Uh even the line of the Communist Party also here in Australia, I understand. The other day I saw, I watched a TV program in which they showed that some, uh, some Communist Party led uh, trade unions. I think the Warfees were in them and others. They even, uh, boycotted the war effort that Australia was doing in fighting Hitler because they wanted
0: power
1: <laughs> <laughs> inside. Said Australia comes by yeah. Mm. Odd, really. Now, um,
0: it, there is quite a connection between South America and Spain, isn't there?
1: Well, South America eh, <coughs> was a colony of Spain, most most of South America. It's uh, with the exception of Brazil, which was a colony of Portugal. But uh, from Mexico down to Chile, through Central America, and all the western side of Venezuela and all the western side of Colombia, Central America, Ecuador, Peru, and Chile were all under the influence of Spain. They were colonies. And I think I mentioned at the beginning, in the early 1800s, uh, those, when, when Spain was invaded by Napoleon, uh, the colonies declared, so declared independence from Spain, and uh, independence from Napoleon in the beginning, when the monarchy was re-established back in, in Spain again, then they said they didn't want to go back to, 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 you know, to the monarchic system and establish what they call democratic system in most countries, which failed basically economically, and then we had many military coups and military... Um, uh, takeovers in all countries in South America. The whole of South America was initially planned to become a United States of South America but uh, England also and the United States they helped quite a lot to pay corrupt uh, generals and corrupt people in the armies to take over and subdivide the whole continent so it would it became a a large amount of little countries that they could easily control one by one economically. Yeah.
0: Yes, yeah, so I guess it sort of stayed a colony really, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I guess moving up in time a bit, um with I guess Spain is um Fairly settled as a, a conventional sort of typical democracy of the kind we have here in, in Australia, is that correct?
1: or Well, yeah, it could be comparable. We have a, we have there in Spain these days we have a, a monarchy similar to the one in England. It's a parliamentary monarchy at the moment, and uh, which means the king. The royal family is not elected and doesn't have much power at all. But what is what rules are is basically the parliament and the head of the state, the prime minister. And so there's elections of what is equivalent to a prime minister in Spain every four years. And uh, for a long, well, we have had periods in which. Uh, the right-wing has been in power, the same as in Australia now, and sometimes other periods in which uh, so-called left-wing social democratic socialist party has been in power, the same as the Labour Party has been in power as well. But whether the right-wing or the, right, the left-wing is in power doesn't make very fundamental change at all. Yeah.
0: Is, uh quite parallel then, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And with the the history of, of anarchism actually being on the ground and um, and, and implement, implemented sort of economically and politically, um, is that continuing at all in, in Spain or has it dropped away?
1: It's quite dropped away, but it's been born again, I would say. Um, the reason is that during the Spanish Civil War, there was about... One million people died. Uh, this is out of a population of 20 million. It was in Spain at that time. So, uh, imagine, well, uh, population like the population of Australia nowadays. Australia is 23 or 24 million now. It was about the same amount of people in Spain in, when the Civil War started and one million died. About three millions had to go into exile. And, uh, incredible amount of people were put in prison after Franco won the war they say that even even the uh, numbers as high as almost a million of people were killed in jails by Franco by Franco by the Franco regime after So repression was really huge and uh, people nowadays and um, after are very much afraid of going back into a situation of a civil war again because it hurt not only the families that were in the left but also people who were in the right, the civil war, too many people died and uh, they don't want to go into that. So they are very much afraid that by supporting anarchist ideas um, they, they, they would get... Again, into a confrontation, uh, with a state similar to the one that was before the Civil War. But nevertheless, the state, in the parliament, in the parliamentary democracy that exists nowadays in the United States, complete, in the, in Spain, completely bankrupt, you know, with, uh, the, has the highest unemployment rate in, in, in the whole of Europe. And that affects mostly the young people. So, if you can see that uh, for many people for many in in in, um, in in Spain, it is very clear that all politicians are corrupt the ones in the left and the ones in the right there have been huge corruption scandals lately in which they have seen they have been taking the lid out of the of the pot, and they have seen inside the pot and seen that everybody, even the most, the biggest politicians, they have taken money into their pockets, and at all levels, not only at a very high, even at the level of of counties and the level of uh, um, uh, municipalities, everybody is a thief, everybody in power in Spain is a thief, so, the system has been has been failing so greatly that you have uh, um, you have a lot of movements being formed at the moment that although they don't call themselves anarchists they um they practice they take the practice of control of their leaders and the power growing from bottom up and I think that eventually that that will uh, result in a crisis that will overthrow, uh, we don't know in what form, but it will overthrow the the existing system in Spain. So
0: I guess with a a massive unemployed mob of young people in a very poor country, well in a situation of poverty anyway, um, I guess you'd you'd be looking at, they've got no direct direct experience of the civil war so maybe the the youth will be drifting towards the extremes Uh, how's the um, how does it look uh, the
1: drift towards the
0: right wing in spain
1: Um, it's very very funny because um, you will see that the right wing is mostly formed by 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 descendants or people who are the sons or grandsons or fascists that were in power during the civil war but you will see that the right wing doesn't have much much uh, much of a youth element uh, neither does the official left wing either neither does the socialist party and so on they, they are all say everybody was over uh, all people who are under 40 are not in any parties, not even right or left, and they're trying to form base, ground-based grassroots organizations, many of them, to fight against unemployment, to fight against the fact that there's no housing the fact that the banks own, own houses that are completely empty, they're not occupied by anybody, the fact that if you own a house and you have a debt and you cannot pay, you became unemployed, you cannot pay your debt, the bank has the right to take out and kick you to the street. Uh, quite desperate situation in many in, in large parts of Spain now at the moment. Yeah. Cool.
0: So, yeah, that's Spain. Um, I guess we know that Russia's sort of collapsed into a situation where it's almost run by the mob. Um, how about South America now? Uh, just before the uh, the the Pinochet coup in Chile, you were involved with some um, some factory factory worker ownership.
1: Yeah, I, with uh, before before um, before the Pinochet dictatorship, we had a we had a long time of. Uh, a long, long time of sort of a democratic system being established in Chile, with elections, and it was only one of the very few countries in which the army never got in power. Chile and Uruguay were the exceptions. They were called the Switzerlands of Latin America. And uh, the problem is that elections started to get won every time more and more by the left and it was basically the marxist parties who were winning the elections uh, increasing the vote numbers from election people voting for them numbers and in 1970 for the first time in history a marxist president whose name was salvador allende who belonged to then marxist socialist party was elected to power and he became the head of the state um, there was a large part of the youth in those days, in which I counted myself we which we didn't believe that that power or real uh, a real transformation of society could be made by electoral means. and we started in Allende was elected in nineteen seventy. 1965 66 five years before that we were we were uh, looking at what they called an armed solution armed revolutionary uprising to establish to do a revolution and we were very much inspired by what had happened in cuba because cuba cuba a group of people started fighting against the government and although they were less than, I think they were started with 13 men at the beginning, they started growing and growing and growing, supported by the masses and supported by a huge amount of poverty there was until they won the revolution in 19... in three years they won the revolution in 1959 with uh, Fidel, Che and all those people.
0: What really could have happened with Robin Hood,
1: eh? Yeah, (laughs) it's like over, like say, yeah, Robin Hood was, he he was into uh, achieving economic justice, you know, robbing the rich and giving money to the poor, but um, in the case of uh, these people in Latin America, it was not just establishing economical justice, but also trying to get the power. It's like if Robin Hood are starting not only distributing the money in between the poor, but slowly building up a huge mass of peasants that would overtake the whole kingdom and replace it by something else. That's roughly what those Robin Hoods did in those days. (laughs) (laughs) Starting fighting with 13, 14 people, then 15 and so on, and, and getting people, joining them and supporting them and starting a revolutionary war and winning the war in three years and the whole population. That was an amazing example, although after the revolution was done in Cuba, then uh, they, the first thing that they had to do was to uh, be able to feed their people, they had to uh, nationalize the sugar companies. S- Cuba was a, was a country that only produced sugar, most, most of the money, and all the sugar companies were American. So they started taking over the sugar companies, and then the United States, of course, opened a big scandal. They didn't want to, they, you know, that the that, that the sugar would be taken from American hands. So they they didn't like that. And they started a blockade. They stopped buying buying a, a sugar from. Cuba, and then Cuba was almost bankrupt because it couldn't sell. And then the Soviet Union came in. Said we're buying sugar from you, and they started selling uh, sugar to the Soviet Union and importing everything else uh, from the Soviet Union. But of course, that was came uh, at a cost in which, you know, in the end, uh, instead of being a country dominated by the United States, Cuba became a country dominated, totally dominated by the Soviet Union. Uh, To the extent that even Che Guevara had to leave the country because of that. And Che Guevara thought that, um, basically, thought that Cuba would never become independent unless the whole continent became independent from the economic power of the United States. so that's one of the reasons why he started his war in Bolivia, which was one of the most poor, the poorest country in Latin America, at the time thinking that he would get a lot of support from the masses and that they would start a revolution that would spread out all over Latin America and get the whole independence of Latin America from economic powers. But it didn't work, so he was killed. He so in that in that context, we were thinking about doing a revolution in Chile as well. But, of course, not going like a isolated uh, guerrilla group and start fighting against the state, against the government, or whatever it was. But we started to try to organize the masses into taking power. And uh, just be, even before the election of Salvador Allende, we started to organize... Each um, each um, factory particularly, in, well we were groups of students and also workers and trying to organize the factories to be taken over by the workers in such a way that the workers would be running the factories in a certain date, start running the factories without owners and starting forming cooperatives that would be running the factories. And in the countryside, a similar work was done as well. And there were other movements who were more into um, struggle, like the MIR. We were a bit more into uh, not um, not creating min- minorities of, of people who would have the weapons, but trying to incorporate weapons to a large majority of the people on the basis of having, owning the land, or taking over the land in the factories. And so eventually, yeah, we had to when Allende was elected, then uh, when the, we got, as I said, for the first time in history, uh, Marxist got the history of the earth, eh? never, never a Marxist head of state had been elected to become head of state, not even in the case of Lenin. <laughs> wow. <Well. laughs> so we, have, we were the first, within a democratic system, the first. It's like if in Australia we would have had a Marxist socialist party, in Australia we would have elected um, that, that that Marxist Socialist Party became the one of the strongest force, political forces, and, and all of a sudden, one of our prime ministers would be one of our prime ministers would be a Marxist bloc. So that hasn't happened in Australia, but did happen in Chile. We have had the first Marxist three elected in history, the first and the last one. So I never ever a Marxist. Uh, uh, head of state has been freely elected. In, in say, not even the Soviet Union, or anywhere, a Marxist head of state. In Chile, we had it. And then, uh, of course, uh, when that happened, uh, we people who we who we even didn't vote because we didn't believe in the electoral the system. We even people who. Didn't vote. We started to take over the factories. The owners of the factories got really scared. and They ran away and they went into into to hide in in the United States, in Switzerland, in thinking that they, we would have a a system like the Cuban system, in uh, you know, sort of quite once again they won. Lots of people, rich people, got scared and left the country. And we started running with their workers, started running the factories for them. In the end, we had well. We had not expanded uh, enough, but we had at least all the textile industry of Chile in the hands of of uh, uh, of the workers, in the sense of being run not by party members or by people, but being democratically run from the bottom up in in the in in the by the different trade unions.
0: <coughs> yeah, so I guess after that, as you say, there was the uh, the coups all over the place and dictatorships.
1: And yeah, yeah, the I dictatorships just, in Chile was very, very much modelled after the dictatorship of Franco in Spain. And uh, of course, yeah, lots of people left the country. In Chile, we were 10 million and then 10% left the country, 1 million left. So, <laughs> it was, and so Yeah. Mm. So the,
0: um, I guess South America today is um, coming out of that uh, that period of dictatorships and, and more into um, your democracies, um, but there are some really interesting uh, governments today in South America, like Ecuador would be the one that's really standing out, and and Bolivia. And Bolivia. Yeah, yeah. Can you say what's going on there?
1: Well, um, I haven't been there for a long time, so I wouldn't be able to tell you much. But I say in Bolivia, we have, uh, For the, say in Bolivia, imagine Australia. Imagine Australia in which not all the aborigines were exterminated by the British and by the and by the Australians, imagine an Australian which say about seventy percent of the population were Aboriginal people; the rest were white. Bolivia is roughly the same situation. We have in Bolivia seventy percent of the population, and thirty uh, percent being white or whitish. And uh, nevertheless, well, Bolivia did its independence from Spain back in the early 19th century and uh, in this moment Bolivia President Evo Morales is the first Ab- aborigin, the you know, population has always been ma- in, in the majority aborigin Indians, it's the first Indian ever elected to, to, to be head of state in Bolivia by the parliamentary system and he's been very good because he has been uh, socializing within his power in, in, a, in a democratic way passing laws through, through Parliament and winning every time more and more support through free elections he has been um, yeah socializing the economy and redistributing the wealth making the wealth rich the Indian population for the first time in a long, long, long time
0: yeah. yeah, fantastic and I know Ecuador is Oh, I guess there's two things that sort of stand out, and that's about all I know about Ecuador. Yeah. Is. One is the uh, the rights of nature legislation, which is yeah. Do you know anything about that? Not one? much. Yeah. Not much. I haven't,
1: haven't been following Ecuador.
0: Yeah. I think it came out of a came out of the states, but Ecuador has actually made it into national law, where a a river, for instance, has won a case against a. Um, a mining company for polluting the river and the, oh, the mine was stopped right. so, no. so somebody can yeah. take the side of the river yeah. and bring it to court as a as a oh, I didn't know stakeholder I didn't know yeah. and, I
1: didn't
0: know. No. and the other one of course is their uh, their refuge of um,
1: the WikiLeaks guy yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Ecuador has been yeah in in other countries have been also uh, Also, you know, giving refuge to many people uh, persecuted by by the United States and uh, by the government. Uh, It's been given, uh, wow. (laughs) It's been given, uh, it's been given refuge, um, Uruguay has been giving refuge to people, people helped for decades in Guantanamo, Mm, well, Guantanamo presidents one of prisoners, uh, uh, many of them have just sort of gone to Uruguay recently, so it's opening up quite a lot and also becoming less, I would say, less submitted or less subdued or less uh, to, to the United States than it used to be, I'm more independent, but still not. In, Countries like Chile, from what I've heard, it's countries like Argentina. The situations are pretty revolting.
0: So, Gabriel, imagine there was a a, a country that that took over and and actually did manage to uh, to devolve power, I suppose, to the uh, to the anarchist sort of state. What what form would that look like if if it came about?
1: Well. It would be a country. For a start, it would be a country in which uh, all all public services, I would say, would be run from the bottom up in the form of production cooperatives. Uh, the land, the large well what probably private property would be um would be uh, respected but not um, in a in a private in a particular way in a little way but not to the extent that anybody wouldn't wouldn't be allowed to own the means of production um Say, for example, if you had a rice rice ro- growing region for export, like you have here in Australia, uh, that would be probably managed from the bottom up by um, syndicates or, uh, in, yeah, by by collectively owned. Uh, in, systems of production in which uh, you ask a question if you want to, in which, you know, the, the 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 leadership of all that would be controlled and replaceable and re-elected. And that would be on the basis of everything and uh, and uh, In, in, well, in Aragon, in Spain, for example, they got up to the extent of even abolishing money because, you know, you would be paid in bonuses, which you would be able to hold for a certain time to buy things that you needed, which you you would own privately, but you wouldn't be able to accumulate those money. Those bonuses and put them in banks and, and, and have capital. Uh-huh. Sort of like so, yeah.
0: time-lapse money, eh? Yeah. <laughs> sort of, yeah. I guess another yeah. interesting innovation that they had in Spain was um, the periodic reallocation of property within an area. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. they did have that. So sort of time-lapse property yeah. as well. hmm Yeah, are there any other... I guess... Um, yeah, so you've you've applied it to agriculture, where the um, the people who work in the industry would yes. get together and elect people to direct it all. Yeah, councils, councils, yes. Yeah. Uh, and would that be applicable outside of agriculture as well?
1: Yeah, it would be. Um. Uh, uh, would be completely applicable in all all what is factory production and um, all what's industrial. Industrial production would be applicable as well. Yep, and
0: you've already mentioned the uh, the essential services like health and everything else.
1: Yeah, that would be also collectively owned and probably based on more kind of um, district-owned kind of um, uh, systems. Yeah. Mm.
0: So, do you reckon it could lead to um, to corruption or tyranny, like happened with the uh, with the communist mob, or
1: well, it would be much harder if, if people are giving strong control from the base up, then uh, it would be very hard for a minority to take over and, and impose a dictatorship uh, from the top down. It would be very, very hard, I think, almost impossible, if if you... But that couldn't, wouldn't be able to be built from one day to the next one. It would have to be a long process of... Um, developing cooperatives uh, with the aim of replacing the economical system in production, cooperatives of consumption, also like you guys you had here in Canberra in the case of the um, Students Cooperative, is it? The Food Cooperative at at the Uni, uni. and uh, expanding that idea in such a way that it would would permeate uh, all sectors of society slowly, and people would be learning through that. I don't think it could be done from one day to the next one, I think it has to be sort of gradually done, and people becoming more and more aware. Yeah, there was a time, there was a time in which, uh, in, in anarchism, in which they thought that just by killing the heads of states, the whole society would reorganize itself, by itself, without much training, that there would be the natural tendency in human beings to organize themselves in an anarchistic way, but that failed. You know, between 1900 and 1910, I think, or 1895, more than, I, think, I can't remember, more than 5,000 politicians and heads of states were killed in all over the world, and that didn't help. I mean, uh, the, the anarchists were classified as terrorists, and they lost the grip on the masses. People became scared of them. And that was sort of stepped backwards.
0: Yeah, yeah, so what did that do to the movement?
1: Oh, very bad, very bad. It lost all the influence over the, ma- o- over the masses, except in small spots like in Italy and like in Spain, and in, in, in also in Switzerland, in the Jura. They, they they still survived there, but in, in general, it made. Uh, the terrorists, um, the terrorists or the tourists, or the what they call it, the direct action uh, policies, were failed everywhere.
0: Yeah. yeah, I guess there's a parallel today in the uh, in the Muslim movement that's yeah. gone completely awry over there. Recently. Same sort of thing. I mean, can you explain the uh, the sort of the cycle of violence? That might occur between a state and between those who are opposing
1: a state. Well, you would have um, most, mostly, almost always uh, violence starts is instated by the state first, and and then there are there are people who counteract and prepare themselves to confront the state, and uh, that um, can lead into. Are really riotous and really murderous situations, and uh, in the end, what people just want to get out of it, and they don't. Uh, no matter what it is, and they go easily into parliamentarian democracy or something that, that doesn't really give power to the people. Yeah.
0: Um, so. I guess in the in the history we were talking of the the whole idea of, of human freedom and breaking away from the the tyrannies that have existed in the past. Um, what what role has religion played in that?
1: A very strong role. It's uh, religion. It's in you have. Uh, There's actually a really good book by Bakunin explains the relationship between religion and centralized power it's called God and the State which is worth reading because uh God is uh basically a dictator that imposes rules through its church or through its Muslim movement or through its Mahoma or through the prophets or through whatever it imposes rules that tie up the masses quite a lot. Um it uh Uh, Liberation, I mean the abolition of the state as it is now, should be accompanied by the abolition of religion, a world with no religion. Actually, uh, there is a song (laughs) that reflects all anarchist ideas and uh, it's a song by by John Lennon called Imagine. That song summarizes what the anarchists they use are. In, in, imagine there's no heaven. Imagine, you know, nothing to kill a die for. Imagine, uh, just, just follow the words of that song and you will have the, a summary of the a Pretty philosophy. good idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice one.
0: Well, that's easy to find too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what would be the, uh, what would be the role or the position of religion in a, a society
1: like that? It would disappear. It should disappear. We, we wouldn't... It, it would not... People, people would be intelligent enough to... Well, although some of them might be still believe in an afterlife, but not let... not, not be led by the believers in that afterlife. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Religion would be practiced, probably if it is practiced at all, at an individual level, but not in a massive way, like happened with the Muslims, or happened with the Christians and the Catholics, and and
0: so on. What's the role of education that might be might
1: be played? It's very, very important. The role of education is extremely important, but not just education in the sense of learning dates. And and learning a profession, learning, you know, how to earn your life and how to make money. Education is much, you know, much broader, much broader, much s- broader scale, particularly starting at the primary school and secondary school, and education leading to to believing in human beings, rather than than learning how to make money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um is there anything else that you'd like to add? No, I think that's about all things that I can think at this very moment. (laughs)
0: Okay. Gabriel Salas, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you, Scotty.